Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. On today's broadcast, Andrew will be sharing about the importance of having a biblical worldview. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Monday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today is the beginning of my fourth week of teaching on the biblical worldview. This is a brand new series that I have out And I tell you, I'm excited about it. I think this is going to be one of the most important things I've ever taught. I say that about a lot of things, but I mean, this has been years in the making. We have done a special uh, edit on this. My media department has verified the things I'm saying with quotes, with graphs, with uh, statistics. Uh, We've had visuals put up and it's just a different type of teaching and yet it is foundational. So we've talked about how important a biblical worldview is. We've talked about how accurate the Bible is as being directly inspired by God. We've talked about creationism versus evolution, which is a big deal. And this will be my fourth teaching today on the true nature of God. So many people see God as this harsh, mean, uh, judgmental God. And I tell you, you have to have a biblical view of who God is in order to really have a great relationship with Him. So watch this video today. I'll come back at the end of the program. And remember that this week is the last week that we're going to be offering this material on biblical worldview. So please call or write today. The moment that you knowingly go against God, not just against some standard that your parents, your babysitter put down, but you know this is wrong and I know it's wrong and I don't care and I'm going to do it anyway. The moment you do that, now that sin nature revived and you are accountable. And if you were to die without receiving your salvation, you'd go directly to hell. That's what this is talking about. And so the law was given to give you this knowledge of sin. And even though the purpose that God gave it was so ultimately you'd come to the end of yourself and you'd cry out to God for salvation, the real purpose of the law was to amplify your sin and to bring death and guilt and condemnation so that you would quit going that direction because of the hurt and the pain, like touching a stove, it would make you pull back. That was the purpose of the law. And people have misunderstood this and thought that God gave the law to help me. Well, it did help you by bringing you to the end of yourself, but it didn't help you get over yourself. The law wasn't given so that you could improve yourself. The law was given to show you that you are hopeless. And it doesn't matter how good you live. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? You need a Savior. The law was given to bring you to the end of yourself. And if you use the law for that purpose, well, then that's okay. And there is a purpose for this today because there are people who are lawless and are saying that all kinds of perversion are okay. Did you know what? We need to speak the law to them and make sin come alive on the inside of them so that they would quit persisting in their delusion and come to their recognition that they need God. So there is a purpose for the law. But a misunderstanding of this will lead you to a wrong conclusion about God. 
thinking that God is this harsh, mean, angry God. No, God was willing to deal with mankind for 2,000 years in mercy, not imputing their sins unto Him. And the only reason He gave the law was to just bring us to the end of ourself until we could be born again. It's similar to that parent who corrects their child, and that child says, My parent hates me. They spanked me. They hit me. But the reason the parent did it is because they don't want you to bear the punishment that comes out there. They are going to restrict you. They're going to give you a minimal pain so that you can avoid the real pain out there of being destroyed by the devil. You know, my oldest son, Joshua, when he was just a couple of years old, we were out walking in the country and we were on a dirt road and we went out there often. And uh, there was hardly ever a car out there. And the grass was up, oh, I don't know, three or four feet high. He was not as tall as the grass. And he was running probably 50 yards in front of me down this dirt road. And all of a sudden, I saw dirt coming up and somebody was driving down that dirt road. And I mean, they must have been going 50 miles an hour in a place you should have been going five or 10. And I could see that they were going to come to this intersection at the same time my son got there. And I didn't have time to run and grab him. But because we had been disciplining him and telling him no, and he had learned to respond to me out of fear of being spanked, not because he understood everything. Because we had disciplined him, I just was able to yell out and say, Joshua, stop! And I mean, he just stopped in his tracks. And within a second, here comes his car, not more than a foot or two from him, and going right through that intersection. If I hadn't have corrected him, because I didn't want him to think I was terrible and I loved him and how dare I hit my son. If I hadn't have administered that correction, then he, would have, he wouldn't have responded to my voice command and he would have run out there and he'd have been killed. And there's some people that think it's just terrible that you spank your child. But what you do, you allow that child to go unbridled without any restraint and they go out there and Satan just eats their lunch and pops the bag and you think that's better. No, I believe that there is a proper use of discipline. And the law was like that. The law had a purpose. The law brought us to the end of ourself. And the law showed us our need for God. And even though it was painful, there is a purpose to it. And we needed the law to bring us to Christ. Let me share this with you out of the 8th chapter of the book of John. And this is a story of Jesus dealing with a woman that was taken in the very act of adultery. And it says in John chapter 8 and in verse 3, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. You know, the way that I understand this, if you were taken in the very act of adultery, there had to have been a man there too. But they didn't bring the man. They only brought the woman. It's possible that one of the Pharisees was the man, and this was a whole setup. It's possible that they didn't care about justice. All they wanted was just to trip Jesus up, and so a woman would solicit more sympathy and mercy for her than a man would. I don't know all the reasons, but they only brought the woman. And in verse 5, it says, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? So here's where the law said that a person taken in adultery had to be put to death. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, it says, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Also, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. 
If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So shall thou put away evil from Israel. And so the Pharisees thought that they had Jesus in a no-win situation because if he didn't condemn this woman based on these verses, she had to die. And it goes on to say, if you read that, that if you don't enforce this judgment that God put forth, you could be liable to death. So you either had to enforce it or you could be put to death and they would have had occasion to come against Jesus and kill him. But he had been preaching the mercy and the goodness of God and telling people that God is a merciful God. And if he forgave this woman, then they could kill him. But if he executed the judgment that the law said and stoned her to death, well, then all of the people who had been drawn to him because of his teaching of grace and mercy would leave him. So they thought they had him any way he went. What did Jesus do? It says, verse 6, it says, This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted of their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Then Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now notice, Jesus didn't say, well, it wasn't sin. It's okay. You can go live in prostitution and that's just fine. No, he called it sin. But instead of executing the judgment of the law, which see people had misunderstood, God had to not only show that this is right and this is wrong, but in order to deter people, he had to put punishments with it. And in the Old Testament, there were punishments of death for committing adultery. And so it was strictly enforced. And that was the covenant that they were under. But under the new covenant, it goes beyond that. God is still saying that adultery is wrong. But now instead of killing the person, Jesus bore your sins. Jesus took that punishment and you do not have to be punished for it. So you see, God hasn't changed. God started out being merciful to man's sins, but because of their increased transgression and the corruption that it was bringing to the world and to them individually, God gave the law and brought fear and punishment to diminish the amount of sin. And it worked because in the days of Noah, you know, things were so corrupt that God killed all but eight people on the face of the earth. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And did you know that's been nearly 4,000 years? So it was only 1,656 years until the flood came. And since that time, it's been over 4,000 years and things are just now beginning to get back as bad as they were during the days of Noah. What was the difference? It was the law. The law was given approximately 2,000 years after the transgression of Adam and Eve. And so the law restrained the amount of sin, but it increased the condemnation, the guilt, and the shame that sin brought. 
And so it's like, you know, you see these drug commercials on television and they say, take this pill for your headache. Now, it could cause death. It could cause this. And they give all these terrible things. There's these side effects to it. Well, likewise, that, you know, when God gave the law, it did accomplish something. It restrained the amount of sin because people were afraid of the judgment of God. But it had side effects. And the side effects were that it increased condemnation and guilt. And people begin to run from God instead of to God. And then along comes religion that just administers the law with this iron fist. And they have made people think that, man, if, you know, you wear makeup, if you're a woman, if you do this, God is going to reject you. And they preach this standard and they preach a restrictive, judgmental thing. And that is not what God intended at all. And because of it, people have got this wrong impression. But God did that for just a brief period of time. You know, I wish I had time to read all of the scriptures in the New Testament on this, but let me just point out another thing over here in the book of Galatians, in chapter 3, the scripture says that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Now, when you say this, some people think, well, then why even have the law? Well, here's an answer over here. It says, Wherefore then serveth the law? In verse 19, It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. It goes on to say in verse 22, it says, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So it was like a little kid. You treat a child differently than you treat an adult because an adult now has an ability to understand and to reason and comprehend consequences and things like this that a child doesn't have. This is what the law did. The law was a way of dealing with us before we got born again. But once you get born again, we are not supposed to be under this thing of thinking that God gives me what I deserve. God gives you what Jesus deserves because you put faith in Jesus and got born again. Now you reap what Jesus deserves and not what you deserve. And those are powerful truths. Let me share this with you out of John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, Jesus was teaching and, of course, being rejected and criticized by the scribes and the Pharisees. And in John chapter 12 and in verse 27, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. And then he decided, he says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered and others and angels spake unto him. So God only did one thing. He spoke in an audible voice and says, I have both glorified my name and I will glorify it again. And yet there was different responses from the people there. Did you know that people respond differently to the word of God? God's word was given to shut us up under the faith that should afterwards be revealed. It was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. And that's what he intended. But some people have responded incorrectly to this and have thought that God is just this harsh, mean, 
uh, God that you cannot please. Same way right here. They heard the audible voice of God, but they responded negatively. And in verse 30, Jesus said unto them, This voice came not because of me, but for your sake. So in other words, Jesus didn't need an audible voice. He was in communion with His Father spirit to spirit. But the voice came for those people. And in verse 31, He says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This He said, signifying what death He should die. Did you know that this passage has been misquoted and misapplied tremendously? Because basically people think that if you just preach Jesus properly and truly glorify Him, He will draw everybody to that message. That's not what this is saying. If you look at this in verse 32, the word men is italicized. The King James translation, you know, it's hard to translate from one language into another. Some things are not easily translated. There's grammatical differences and stuff. And so in order to make things grammatically correct in English, they would add some words every once in a while that were not in the original translation. But the King James translators were honest enough that when they did that, they would italicize those words. They would make them so that they, it was clear that this word was added to the translation. So actually what this is saying in John 12, 32 is, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. And the translators just put the word men in there, supposing that that's what it's talking about. The verse in front of it was talking about judgment in verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And then the verse after that, verse 33 says, This he said, signifying what death he should die. Being lifted up was talking about being crucified, lifted up on a cross and crucified for the sins of the world. And when Jesus was crucified, he drew all of God's judgment unto him not all men, but all of God's judgment unto him. And the reason I say this is to show about the true nature of God. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. But God is holy. God is just. And he can't do away with one part of his personality. He loves mankind. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And He wanted to minister in mercy to us, but we didn't deserve it. We deserve judgment, all of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. So God loved us and He wanted to deal in mercy with us, but He couldn't do it without paying for our sins. And so Jesus became a man. And Jesus drew all of God's judgment onto him when he was lifted up on the cross. All of God's wrath. All of God's wrath. Not most of it. Not some of it. All of God's wrath for our sin was placed upon Jesus. And he took that judgment so that now under the new covenant, we have a relationship with God that people under the old covenant could only dream of. Their sins were covered in the sense that they could offer a blood sacrifice and that would project into the future that there is coming a sacrifice, a Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And they were saved by looking forward to what would happen. It's similar to taking a credit card, that when you give a credit card and you say, well, I paid for that, you know, your credit card does not pay for that. 
What it does, it has information on that credit card that allows the sale to be imputed unto you. And they send it to your credit card company and then they send you a bill. If you don't understand that, just tell your credit card people, hey, I already paid for this. I gave them my credit card at the store and I'm not going to pay this bill that you sent me. No, you didn't pay for it. You gave them information to send to the credit card company and now you have to pay that bill. Well, in a sense, people under the Old Testament weren't truly saved by offering a blood animal sacrifice. It was just a picture, a symbol, a reminder of what would have to happen. They were saved on credit, looking forward to what was going to happen. But now the transaction has taken place. Jesus has been lifted up and all of God's wrath has come upon Jesus. And because of that, we can be forgiven. God deals with us differently than he dealt with people under the Old Testament. Just like this woman that was taken in the very act of adultery, she was guilty and Jesus said, go and sin no more. He didn't say it's okay, it's not sin. He said, no, it was sin what you did. Go and sin no more. But he didn't execute the judgment upon her that the law demanded because he took that judgment upon himself. Jesus was forsaken by God the way that that woman should have been forsaken by God. And Jesus was forsaken by God the way that you and I should be forsaken by God. And because of it, now God's love is able to flow towards you without there being any condemnation and any guilt if you accept Jesus and if you make Jesus your personal Savior. You become a brand new person. And in the Spirit now, you are a brand new person. You are the righteousness of God. And God is a spirit, John 4, 24. And He sees you in the spirit. And God fellowships with you on the basis of who you are in Christ, not on the basis of your actions. Does that mean that we're free now to go live in sin? Well, it means that God would still love you because now you are a part of a new covenant, but there are still consequences to that sin. People will reject you. Satan will come in and destroy your life if you live in sin. So no, it's still to our advantage to keep the holiness of the law, to live godly and not hurt other people, not to live in sexual sins. There's still benefit to it, but you don't relate to God on the basis of your performance. That's a misunderstanding of the true nature and character of God. God is love. And God wants to deal with us in love, but He's also holy and He's just. And until you accept the payment that Jesus made for your sins, then you'll have to relate to God based on your own goodness. But the moment you make Jesus your Lord and you become born again, you become a new creature, then you have a relationship with God now that is just phenomenal. And again, I've got multiple teachings that expound on this in great ways. But I've been talking about the true nature and character of God, why He gave the Old Testament law. It's like a little child. If you don't understand why your parents are correcting you, you'll think, this person's mean. They've taken a spoon to me. They hit me. But they did it because they loved you. My dad used to say that to me. He says, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I thought, yeah, 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 sure it does. But now I understand what he's talking about. He didn't want to spank me, but he wanted me to learn what right and wrong was. And even though he inflicted some punishment upon me, it was for my own good. That's the way it was under the Old Testament law. But now we have a new relationship with God and you do not have to relate to God based on your performance anymore. You relate to God based upon what Jesus has done. 
And because of that, we have a loving Heavenly Father that we need a New Testament revelation of who He is and also who we are. And in my next segment, this is the thing I'm going to start talking about. I'm first of all going to talk about who we are without God. And people need to know this. If you truly understood this, you would quit leaning under your own understanding and you would quit trying to approach God and solve your problems based on your own ability. You would be dependent upon God. So you need to know who you are without God, but then you also need to know who you are now in God, who He has made you, this new person. And we're going to continue to share these things. And if you can get hold of this, it will change your whole paradigm, your whole way of looking at God and looking at this world and relating to this world. I tell you, it'll change your life. Praise God. That is awesome. I tell you, I believe that this is changing people's opinion about who God is. So I have all of this brand new material on this. As I've said, you know, at the beginning of the program, this week is going to be the last time that we offer this uh, in this series over television. So you really need to go to the effort this week to get these materials. We not only have the video that you saw, we have audio on this, and we also have a study guide where all of this is printed out. You can use it as a reference material and use it to teach other people. Listen as our announcer gives you some information and please call or write today. Today, Andrew's pleased to offer his highly anticipated series, Biblical Worldview, Foundational Truths. In this series, Andrew outlines the importance for every Christian believer to have a biblical worldview. Each of the 12 lessons in this series include a video, audio file, chapter lesson, and printable PDF wrapped in a single box set containing a workbook, audio USB, and a personal access code to the online videos. Each lesson is full of supporting facts, quotes, charts, and historic visuals. Through the online platform, you'll have lifetime access to all of the videos and digital workbooks on your computer or smart device. Biblical Worldview Foundational Truths is available for only $120. Go to awmi.net to order this valuable resource today for you or someone you love. I'd like to ask you to pray about becoming a partner with us. You know, our ministry is based in the United States, but we have 16 offices around the world. We've got altogether around 70 Bible schools scattered around the world. So if you are looking for a good return on your investment, I believe that this is a good ministry. It'll touch you right where you are. And I encourage you to become a partner with us today and help us put the gospel out all around the world. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of September, join Andrew in Toronto, Canada, as he hosts a Gospel Truth Seminar. Next, Andrew will be speaking in Granville, Michigan. 
Then he'll be in Woodland Park for the Identity in Christ Conference with guest speaker, Pastor Dwayne Sheriff. Lastly, in September, Andrew will be speaking in Woodbridge, Virginia at the Voice of the Apostles event. In October, Andrew will be speaking in Colorado Springs. Next, come join Andrew in Woodland Park for our annual Ministers Conference. Then he'll be speaking in Budapest, Hungary for a Grace and Faith Conference. Also in October, Andrew will be hosting the Andrew Womack Ministries European Ministers Conference in Walsall, England. Guest speakers at this event are Paul Milligan, Billy Epperhart, and Bob Yandian. Lastly, in October, Andrew will be hosting a Grace and Faith Conference in Wienendal, Netherlands. For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net.